You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. Hey, the full gang is here, and I am excited to have some conversations about some topics. I am Frank Gill. I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm also here with my buddy, Jeffrey Simpson. Hello. Then down in Sumter, South Carolina, Damar Pete. Hello. And in Florida, not together, but separate, Andrew Larson. Hello. And Timothy Miller. Hello. <laughs> What's up, guys? How you guys doing? I officially doing started well. a trend. <laughs> yes. Frank, you should going? change up the order that we go in one of these days so that Just we'll be surprised when our name yeah. is called. Yeah. Just, All right. just change well, it up. We'll change it up one day. Uh, how was your last this past weekend for you guys at church? Or one of us could change it up on you. Oh, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Practically <laughs> Pat. <laughs> uh, this weekend was pretty good for us. Uh, we had uh, 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 you know, a, a lower percentage of people partly coming back from COVID, partly people are on vacation. Uh, one of my guys just got back from Nigeria. So he literally, he's from there and he was visiting family or something and he just got back and like he drove through the parking lot and like wanted to drop off his um, offering check and he really almost like threw it out the window at us as we were standing outside like the front door welcoming people because he's, you know, he he's really trying to follow the rules about isolating and stuff when you get home. So he, he wanted to come say hi to everyone, but he wanted to follow the rules and he didn't get his COVID test yet. So he like rolled through the parking lot and handed us his offering check and like said hi and just kept rolling through. And I didn't find out until today because I did, you know, I forgot to text him after church. Like, what was that about? That was kind of weird. And then but I'd love to get to your me. sermon notes on stewardship because you must be crushing <laughs> it, bro. <laughs> it was funny, though, because the, the guy that was doing the door doesn't know him real well. He, the, the door guy is a little bit newer and this guy's an older member who's been there a long time. So the guy, the guy that was greeting people at the door was very confused. It was fun. We snuck Drive away for our... tithing. It's yeah, a good one. I like that. We snuck away for our last weekend getaway before school starts in a couple of weeks. So spent some time with the in-laws, and my brother hooked my wife and I up with some tickets to the Hella Mega Tour, boys. You can't say so we, that on here. I, I didn't even know if I should post a picture of it, and I did. <laughs> So it was Weezer, Fall Out Boy, and Green Day. I had seen Weezer and Fall Out Boy several times before, but this was my first time with Green Day live. And it was Say probably it the, so. one of the best live experiences I've had at a show. It's just one of those uh, one of those nights. It was magical. Granted, we were probably spreading COVID faster than anyone else in the country. There was 30,000 people there. So um, there's that. But other than but that, they're all masks and distance, though, right? Sure. Well, you're still immune, brother. Yeah, Saturday night was day 90. And technically, yeah. it's 90 days. So maybe we're well, getting back to church. We, um, hey, we, are, we had a pretty good go at it. I know Frank and I, we both got to play real pastor this weekend because we preached at our churches and got streamed into our campuses. But, um, so it was a weekend that the real pastor knew wouldn't be a high attendance, and so he handed it off to you guys? Maybe. Uh, no, no, actually, the fact is, it's kind of cool. Our little you skating always rink, go for the throat, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Our little skating rink, I don't know, man. The prayer and the fasting, people have been coming back. It's really cool. I think a lot of South Carolina has decided that COVID doesn't exist. So, <laughs> so collectively, they're starting to come back. Meanwhile... We actually have a verbal agreement to move into the local school as right. long as, um, you know, things don't go crazy again. So that'll be coming within the next month. So things will hopefully be about to trend um, a little bit more in our direction down our way. It was a fairly normal Sunday for us, but I felt like last Sunday was just a home run. Like the, the sermon took not a whole lot of effort to write. And it was delivered effortlessly, and there were high fives and hallelujahs all around. Not not really, but it was just like one of those weeks where everything came together perfectly. And this week, the sermon felt like pulling teeth to get it 
finalized and I splashed grape juice everywhere when I was trying to get the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the safety seal off of my Jesus Lunchable, you know, portable communion thing. And it, it was one of those weeks where it just felt like everything was harder than it was the week before. It wasn't bad. You know, the numbers were about the same. People were as engaged, but it just felt way more like work than last week did. I will say I got to attend a small Baptist church about a quarter mile from my in-laws house, and I absolutely loved it. It was one of those churches that they were very self-aware. They knew who they were, and this could be a this could be a, an entire topic for the show one week, honestly, because we've all been to those churches who try to be something that they're not, and this was not one of those churches. They leaned into who they were, you know, a congregation of 50, 60 people, and it did it well, and the preaching was awesome, and I left like really refreshed and got the pastor's contact info because I'm going to shoot a message this week with some encouragement because I just thought they did a phenomenal job. So that was cool. Hmm. Those are the kind of guys, man, maybe one day it'd be nice to go hang out with them at a conference or something. I don't know. Guys, I'm, I'm here every week. You can come hang out with me whenever. Um, it's fine. Well, you know, a conference like in Florida, possibly where you can go to Disney or Universal afterwards. That would be really nice, wouldn't it? Hey, uh, my week, my week, uh, my week, my weekend was great. I preached also. Um, you're right. My senior pastor decided to go on vacation. We saw and on so- Facebook. <laughs> Guys, I haven't posted anything on Instagram in like months when it comes to yeah, me until preaching. you preach. We I don't. literally preached three times since the last time I posted something when I preached. Frank, anyway. next time we both preach the same weekend, I'll share all your stuff. You share mine, you. and then we can't get dinged. Let me ask you this question. Uh, how often do you use object lessons in your sermon? Mm, Ever? Every so often. I use I illustrations week. most I weeks. Yeah. Week. I, no, illustrations, obviously. But like, I'm talking about like I actual use smoke like, detector physical yesterday. stuff that you're using on stage. I did last week. What would you do? Week. I mean, whenever I use an object <laughs> lesson, I always like share the video on Facebook. That's kind of rule number one. So if there's yeah. an Jeff object is, lesson, the video sure. has to be shared. The object is views on Facebook, obviously. <laughs> Jeff is going to be like, my Engagement. object lesson is communion, and we do it every week. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, that's this not what I was going to say. This is passive aggressive intro at <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, we're, we're all in a mood today. <laughs> Guys, we all love each other. We've okay. actually been talking for like an hour. We actually really love each other. But anyway, go ahead. Jeff. Why I am I the nicest a... one? <laughs> <laughs> well, we all heard you had the salt award, so I think we're like competing <laughs> for it. I did. I used crayons and um, markers that I stole from the kids' craft like cabinet uh, as an object lesson. We were in John fourteen, where Jesus says, "I'm going to send another helper," and uh, the Greek word there is one of another, one of the same kind. And I was trying to illustrate the difference between. That Greek word can be used to uh, talk about one of a different kind or one of the same kind. And in Jesus' words, it's one of the same kind. So I use, you know, everybody who has crayons, that's one of the same kind. If you have crayons or markers, it's one of a different kind. So, Hang on, and, because I'm wearing my Dallas Seminary shirt, I have to ask, is the word in that specific uh, section paraclete? Uh, when it's talking about helper, but one okay. of another kind. I'd have to look it up. I don't remember the Greek, but um, it uh, people came up to me afterward and said it was a helpful, you know, way to talk about it. So I was just trying to illustrate kind of the the you know the essence inside of the Trinity being of one, and we we got into a little bit of the Ooh, kind of creedal you try, stuff you there. Explaining yeah. the Trinity with object lessons, yeah, always ends up in heresy. Hey, we did. I did. I had the verse aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs. And I don't know how it works at your church, Frank, but our pastor kind of guides us on where he wants us to the text because it fits into what he's doing. So I use a that's how it works at my church too. Yeah. Oh wow. I'm gonna. I guide myself to what to say. (laughs) Well, we I did a smoke detector because uh, it's kind of the same concept. As much as it possible, a smoke detector wants to reside in your house and not make noise, but it is predispositioned to make noise about one thing, and that is we as Christians we we should try to live good toward the world, but we are predispositioned to make noise about Jesus. And the worst smoke detector is the one with a low battery. And like if we ourselves are not communing with Jesus and we are drained on the inside, we tend to make noise when we shouldn't. So what's yours, Frank? Am I, so basically I did an object lesson of, if you, if you remember Francis Chan, he did, he did an illustration with this rope and it was all right. I actually did one that I think is better where it's talking about like in John 11, um, explaining why Jesus doesn't always answer our prayers or the Lord, why the Lord doesn't answer our prayers the way we expect him to or want us to. And basically the whole point is like our perspective is just whatever's right in front of us in our present circumstances. And God could be doing something in the bigger picture that we're unaware of. 
And and so we should be confident that just because God isn't moving in our lives doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, but it could be because God is doing something else that you're not aware of. And so I use this rope. I thought it was a good analogy. Um, I, I realized that in our, in our church structure, when you preach three services back to back, and there's actually no gap for the preacher to like talk to people between services, that like you get no feedback. So if your illustration sucks, you won't know till after you're done preaching three times. <laughs> and so <laughs> luckily I, I uh, uh, the campus pastor, um, I talked to him right before I went up. I'm like, I'm like, Hey, how did that land? He's, and this is after I preached it twice already. He's like, Oh dude, it was great. I'm like, good. Cause I'm being like insecure this entire morning and I don't know how to feel, how to feel about it. So it was actually, it was actually refreshing for him to tell me like, oh, actually the, the illustration did land. So um, anyways, I, I think uh, I, I, the reason why I got so excited about posting that image on the video on Facebook is mainly because I don't feel like we produce object lessons very much in church anymore, except for like, I do see like uh, <laughs> to its own detriment. I think sometimes, sometimes I do think it's ridiculous. I see someone like Stephen Furtick or Michael Todd do object lessons. And it's like, did you think of the object lesson first and then worked your way backwards? Like, I want to, <laughs> I want to lay on a couch the entire sermon. How can I make this fit in my sermon? It's like, I don't know how this makes sense, but any situation. I that sounds like- so good to me. <laughs> Tim gives me so much crap because I sit on a stool, but if I could actually lay down on a couch, oh, yeah, you sit on a- I would love that. <laughs> you, Rick Warren? Therapy yeah, I mean, with I- Pastor Andrew. I sit, I sit on a bar stool. It's great. I have a little, t- I've got a high top table there with my iPad on it. It's wonderful. Well, you're like a little Andy Stanley. It's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some awesome clergy cliff notes. Welcome back uh, to uh, the show. We are going to dive into some clergy cliff notes. Uh, so this is something we've been talking about in the Facebook group a lot. So if you're not in the Facebook group, please join our Facebook group because ironically we talk about this more than our own podcast for whatever reason, but the, the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill has been like the biggest conversation in the Christian podcasting world, partially because it's so well done. Like regardless of what you think of the content of it, it really is like the best of like christian reporting and true crime almost you know what I'm saying? like it's like it's, a, it's just a super well produced podcast with that being said christianity today has made a podcast about kind of the um the story behind the rise of mars hill that was passed by mark driscoll in the uh in the 2000s and the early part of the 2010s and and how it kind of all ended overnight as the podcast says and it, it's a lot of interviews a lot of storytelling as to who Mark is and was and how evangelicalism even got to this place. There's a lot of interesting interviewers, uh, people who, people who they interview uh, to kind of shape the story behind it around it. And, and I think I've been kind of waiting to talk about this in the podcast because I know almost all of us, I think actually I could probably say all of us to one degree or another has been pretty influenced by Mark Driscoll's ministry. And I think all of us have kind of like reflected on that in one degree or another. And I I was going to wait till the podcast was over to talk about it. But like, there's like, apparently Mike, I think his name is Mike Cosper or Mike Cooper or something like that. He says there's like, there's like 12 more episodes. So I was like, okay, let's talk about it now because it might be like three months before we get to it. So, Hey, I want to know what are your thoughts about the show? What have you learned? What are you, what are your pushbacks? There actually has been quite a few articles written both from like Mark Driscoll fans like or like people who were fans of Mars Hill giving pushback, and also people who are like outside of it just saying it's giving Mark Driscoll too much credit, right? Like, like the podcast paints Mark Driscoll almost too much in a positive light, and so this podcast is getting kind of arrows from both sides. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And then last, lastly, I just want to know as you're processing this podcast, all of us have have some kind of relationship and and with Mars Hill and its ministry, like. What have you, how do you reconcile that with where you are now in your theology and the way you pastor, all that kind of stuff? So, what are your thoughts? Before we get into that, uh, I, when we talk about the popularity of the show, as of today, it is the number six podcast overall in the United States on the Apple charts, which is unheard of for something that is in the religion and spirituality category to be that high on the list. I mean, there's not another religion or spirituality podcast in the top hundred 
and this uh, that's not true. There's one at 33. That's the Bible in a year, but still the number six podcast in America right now, which means it's probably the number six podcast in the world. It's the number one in the religion and spirituality category. And every episode is in the top 15 most listened to episodes right now in the category. So this is not just a, oh, there's some pastors that are thinking about this. This thing is, you know, this is serial level popular, but it's about a church, which is crazy. And it's sad that it's popular, not because of a good thing. I hate that, you know, like I get it, but like the world loves a train wreck, especially when it involves the church. You know, when I first heard the podcast was coming out, I really did think it was going to be like a lot of other things. You already know what you think of Mark. The people who are going to hate him are going to hate him. The people who are going to like him are going to like him. But this has had a massively different response because I've always liked his teaching. And I thought low key, he was probably a jerk in the background. But just listening to this podcast has really changed my perspective. It's changed how I listened to some past sermons. Um, now, granted, like, do they go, they go a little hard in certain areas. But even if you're someone who thinks that episode four crunched down on them with too much of an agenda, okay, remove every single thing that anyone else said and only play the clips from Mark. That alone is still concerning, regardless from whatever agenda. So I, I think that it is making a big splash so much so that I, I walked into my um, in my house here and my wife was listening to it because she's just everyone is talking about it. So I just hope that I listen God parts, redeems it. You know, I listened to parts of the last episode with my wife and to, you know, I had already listened and then she was listening and I saw the way that she reacted to that episode. And I just thought how as a husband, I don't know that I could have sat through that, you know, so for my experience, I'm the oldest one in this group. I was, you know, probably beginning seminary at the height of the Mars Hill hysteria in about 2007, 2008. And I'm sorry when I said hysteria, Siri thought I was talking to her on my computer. Um, but so I, I had listened to uh, Driscoll. I remember being in, in seminary and I had, you know, my, my first generation iPod and I had a bunch of sermons and my dad and I were driving from Dallas um, out West of Fort Worth. And I had a Driscoll sermon on, and I just thought this was the greatest thing in the world. You know, here I am 24, 25 years old as a seminary student. And my dad paused my iPod, which I was like, oh, you know how to do that way to go, dad. And he was like, Andrew, I know that you think that this is great, but this just reeks of immaturity to me. And I was so offended. I was like, Oh, <gasps> dad, how could you say that? And now I look back on that memory from 2007 or 2008 and I'm like, okay, dad got it. He understood. But after listening to those, that episode with my wife, I, I mean, seeing her turn green during some of those segments, I thought, it, how could you sit next to your wife in church listening to that? That would be difficult. It's been tough for sure. Uh, Driscoll was obviously pretty formative for a lot of my theology and it woke me up in, you know, 2010, 2011. I needed someone to kind of scream at me a little bit and punch me in the gut. And it, it was what I needed at that time. Uh, this opened the door for a conversation with my, my elders last Wednesday night, at our elder meeting. I just told them, you know, I've been going through this podcast. I'd love for you guys to go through this, not just as a cautionary tale, but also as a great conversation for us as leaders in the church for how we can avoid something similar to this. So it's generated a lot of great conversation. Um, I have a tough time with sermon sound bites every now and then without the full sermon context. Like, I, I get it. You could probably find a, a couple of sermon sound bites of my own that I would probably be ashamed that I, I said. So I, I, it's like I want to give Mark the benefit of the doubt, and then I hear him say it, and then I hear the reaction from people who were sitting in there, and it's so it's so tough to kind of sit through that. But at the same time, like. I know that culturally it was a different time during some of those sermons. Like I can go back and watch an episode of friends from the nineties and be like, wow, how did I laugh at that? I would never laugh at that today. So it's, it was a very different time as well. So you have to put all those things together. The podcast does not, they don't talk context. The podcast, he doesn't like, he doesn't as, as much as he should a little bit here and there, but he needs to be doing way more context behind it. The thing that my wife and I have said, and this is such an odd comparison, 
but during that same era, Simon Cowell was the face of the judges on American Idol, and now Lionel Richie is the face of the judges on American Idol. So we have moved away from the mean is funny and mean is going to get clicks era, hopefully for forever. But during the early 2000s, mean was in. Mean was mean was good. And it's so weird to be, you know, a half a generation later and look back and be like, what in the world? But the best insult got the best coverage, period. And that was across all media. I also don't think this is the last time we'll be talking about this. Because I had a conversation with Mike Gunn a few weeks ago about this podcast. Mike's one of the founders of Mars Hill, and he has agreed to come on to Practically Pastoring to talk about this. He's getting back in town this week, so hopefully we'll have an interview with him in the coming weeks. And he has a lot of thoughts, both good and bad, on the podcast and on the origin of Mars Hill. So I think we'll get some some illuminating feedback from him as well. So maybe if you are listening and there's any questions that would be beneficial to ask them, if you want to post them in the group, we'll definitely be seeing them. I think uh, for me, I I was thinking about this the other day. I have never listened to a full Mark Driscoll sermon. Um, <clears throat> I know. But my exposure to Mars Hill was really in the kind of like music and graphics and video content. Uh, and Mark Driscoll was kind of an afterthought. And then as I started to teach more, uh, I think the first book I got from him was probably the Doctrine book. Um, and then I think I have that and maybe the Ephesians study book. That's all I have in terms of his writing, um, and I I always don't, I don't can, worry he did he didn't actually write either of those so you're <laughs> yeah. fine. Um, so I I mean for me it it doesn't have any personal sting like it doesn't bother me. Um, I know that the parts of sermons that I've listened to and, and maybe I'm wrong maybe I've listened to a few of his sermons but it was not like his sermons were not that formative for me in terms of you know, my own teaching or my own ministry. Um, the music definitely was, uh, cause I was a worship pastor then. And so the music was a big deal. We still sing a lot of Marshall songs and they're really, really great. They have, you know, really, really rich theology embedded into the songs, which I love. Um, but I, al- I, I was always a little bit like uneasy with some of the ways that Driscoll would communicate in his sermons and now looking back, I think that's, you know, Andrew, what you said is kind of like, I, I wouldn't have been able to put that into words back then, but I think I was sort of like, I'm not sure if this is how somebody who's this age and in, has been in this ministry this long is supposed to talk. This is weird. Um, but then it was kind of like that, like you said, it, that was kind of the thing. It was like, almost like shocking was equated to like faithful. And that was strange to me. It's still strange to me now because I, I still see some of that. Um, but so for me, you know, it hasn't like really hurt me personally. But I remember when Mars Hill closed, I was talking with a friend and kind of the first thing that popped into my head was, um, you know, kind of you, you, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Like th- this is kind of you, you sort of sowed these seeds and now you're kind of just reaping what you sowed. Um, and that was just my very, very limited perspective on Mars Hill as a church. And by the time they closed, I was starting to be a little more aware of the church as a whole and of, of Driscoll's own ministry, because at that point I was starting to preach a little bit. So I was starting to become aware of like preachers. Um, and I think by the time, you know, it was closing, there were more things being written about why it was closing. And I remember like, what's that guy's name? Warren Throckmorton was writing blogs all over the place. So, you know, I was more aware of it, but honestly, when I listen to it, it's like I spend an hour being uneasy on on multiple levels. Like I'm uneasy of the things that I'm hearing Driscoll say. I'm uneasy that like, I I don't really, it's like, I don't want to listen to it. Like Mars Hill's over. Why are we still talking about this? You know, like I get there's lessons to be learned, but that's what my emotions like waffle back and forth. Like, I just don't like, why are we dragging this guy through the mud again? You know, and on one level, and I know it's good content to learn lessons, but it just feels, it feels wrong to kind of in such a public forum, expose all this stuff that really was a church thing. But on the other hand, it was a huge church. And, you know, when you build the church on exposure, I guess this is kind of the way it goes. So I, I have really, really mixed feelings. Like I listen, I've listened to every episode, a couple of them twice. And I, I've been uneasy 
for almost the entire episode as I'm listening. So has the podcast changed the way you listen to Mark Driscoll sermons now? Because I, I still, I'm preaching through Ephesians and I've used some of his stuff in my Ephesians series. I don't know. I mean, does it change the way you guys hear a Driscoll sermon? I would say it I, changes the way I think of him in terms of like how how I, I, I wouldn't use any of his stuff for devotional purposes because what is obvious is that a lot of the doctrine, well, and I, I want to be careful saying this, what it seems like based on this podcast and other things I've read and, you know, interviews with people who were there is that there was parts of the fruit of the spirit that were missing. And so devotionally speaking, I'm not sure that I want to say, hey, here's a devotional that's basically about your orthopraxy and your orthopathos from this guy who doesn't seem to quite be there, but who has good orthodoxy, um, especially if you're in a reform stream. You know, he's very he's very good at teaching that. Uh, and he's an incredibly gifted communicator. So Those who can't teach. Like, <laughs> for, that's weird. That's a weird like, way to put it. Yeah. I, I, I feel... I, it's interesting you bring that up because I would say up until about maybe this past year, I haven't I hadn't listened to a, a Mark Driscoll sermon like since like 2014, just because one the resurgence website went down, so all of his sermons went like went missing, and then eventually he brought them all back to his like own personal whatever website, and I just never cared about going to his website. I, it's funny Jeff brought up you know the graphics and like the music. And I would say regardless of Mark Driscoll's ministry, Mars Hill was like an innovator and on like the front, front edge of making really dope art. And also making, I would say they, Mars Hill Music made worship music that wasn't just kind of like this prepackaged kind of like, I mean, to be fair, like Elevation and Hillsong make great stuff. They all sound the same. And like what was yeah. cool about Mars Hill it was Music was like, it was stuff I've never heard before. And, yeah. it, and it was like. I don't know. I'm still rocking with Kaleidoscope and Ghost Ships and and Citizens. I got Citizens album on my wall, man. Oh, Citizens is so good. Citizens, Kings. To me, what I loved about their worship scene is it every song felt like it was just birthed out of like this intimate relationship between the author of the song. Whereas some of the mainstream stuff, which we would call now, it just feels like it's birthed from this machine that, oh, we know this lyric kind of works here. But, you know, the song, are y'all familiar with the song, Oh God, um, by, by, oh gosh, you know, it's such a good song. We had a student at our church. She, she had a seizure and passed away in her bathtub and it was really bad. And she was one of the most beloved girls in our community. And everyone came to church that Wednesday, this was back in like 2015, 2016. And all I did, I mean, what do you say? It's a horrible situation. I printed off the lyrics to, Oh God, I put it in every seat and I just clicked play. And I just, we just sat in that song for like 30 minutes. And I actually emailed them that I did that and they went as far to contact me back and were like, man, this was birthed out of my loss for a friend. I'm so glad that this is able to help you. So like the things that we see coming out of Mars Hill, I really, one of the best principles I think that we should be aware of is not throwing, you know, the baby out with the bath. So many godly things were happening almost in spite of Mark. And I, and I would, I would really be hesitant to just like douse cold water on the entire if you will movement because some wonderful things came out of it that are still like massively impacting our culture today well and i think like all of us that were influenced by you know driscoll and mars hill would say that we're at least somewhat in the stream of kind of reformedish thinking particularly about our soteriology which means that we have a high view of god's sovereignty which means that God can do stuff despite somebody like Mars Hill, because he is sovereign, right? I mean, that's so I would say in that vein, it's like lean into that part of your doctrine. And, it, you know, the other part of it, like as far as using his stuff, like this isn't I'm not trying to say this to bash him in particular. This is true about any Bible teacher. We don't we don't have to have Driscoll like that. There's a million other places you can get all the same doctrine and insights from a guy so if if this stuff is making you uncomfortable uh, buy yourself another commentary there, there's other voices where you can get the same stuff 
you don't have to have him as part. And, and the reality, it means that, you know, the kingdom doesn't have to have you either, which takes the mm. pressure off of you. Like I, I'm not the end all be all. I'm just a pastor in my church. And that's, that's where God has me. And I'm good with that. Tim, to go back to what you were saying about um, listening to his sermons, I haven't listened to Ephesians, but I listened to John recently, one of his sermons for John. And it's funny because in the, in the, in the, uh, the podcast, it talks about how he like needlessly adds these different commentaries into his sermons. And, and what's funny is like recently when I looked back at one of his sermons, I'm like, whoa, he preaches, he legitimately preaches for an hour, which is not abnormal in like a lot of like these like hyper, not, not hyper reform, but like these reform churches where like, yeah. They preach for an hour. But then I'm thinking about, like, what is he filling his time with in that hour? And, and like, I remember I was listening to Gospel of John. There's one sermon that he did in the Gospel of John. And I'm like, A, I didn't agree with his conclusions on some of the part of the text. But, two, it was just, like, needless, like, self-grandizing. Like, like he talks about it, it's like, I'm going to punch this guy in the face because that's how much I respect women or something. Like, this is how much you got to be, like, tough guy. And it's like, it was these, like, tangents that kind of puffed himself up that it's almost like to get to that orthodoxy that we talk about. That's so good about Driscoll. You have to kind of like swim through the mud of this like personality that back in 2008, we're like, we don't have this. We want more of this. And now it's like, I think we've become so um, disenfranchised with like these big macho figures that like, it just, it it just kind of, it's, it's kind of like what you said, like when you watch, certain episodes of friends you cringe now as opposed to laugh. And I think it's kind of the similar kind of thing with Driscoll. Yeah, with I that th- being said, with, well, I was say with that being said, we, we, cause uh, it's been brought up again over and over again. It's like, if you come from a reform circle, Driscoll is really influential. It, have it depends on what you bu- mean by reformed though. Yeah. Because like what, in when I was at a Presbyterian church, I was to say, and the, the kind of reform that we're talking about here kind of is not what, Exactly. Exact. That's exactly what it is. It's the neo reform movement. Because as someone that spent years in a Presbyterian church, they did not consider Driscoll to be reformed. Not at all. So, you know, so to have a reformed view of soteriology, if you're coming out of a Presbyterian world, you know, if you're not perfectly aligned with Calvin, you're not actually reformed in that world. So they would right. even look at how Driscoll did baptism or the idea of the spontaneous baptism at a service. And they'd say, there's, this is not a reformed church. So we're, we're being critical of him, which is fair to be critical of him, but we're also using our own definitions to define him, which in some ways isn't fair. And I, and I, and I think I, I agree with hundred percent. And I think the thing that's been bothering me the most in this whole conversation is I would say I got introduced to Driscoll at a part of my life where I did not make any conclusions on my theology of whether I was reformed or not reformed or whatever. And so there's like neo-reformed, young wrestlers reformed kind of community. I got drawn into it because of Mark Driscoll. And I think the thing that's been like I've been kind of more the most rattled with in this whole conversation is that it definitely feels like it was all a show. Like yeah. he wasn't really even a part of this kind of movement. Like, if, especially if you listen to the podcast, he was definitely in the emergent train for a while. And then he was like, I can do more in this young wrestling reform train. And it the especially fact that, feels like, like he, I, now with kind of the way he's moved towards charismatic, you know, and he's hands. openly said yeah. that young wrestlers reform are just a bunch of men who have daddy issues. Like he yeah. said that in an interview. He did name his kid of, Calvin, though. I mean, Fair enough. I mean, but there's also non-reform people I mean, who like Calvin, right? Yeah, like there's people true. who are just like Calvin is just a great. Yeah, there's also Calvin. So I, I think for me it's like, and and we can kind of start putting a bow on this conversation. So I, I think for me it's like, I, I start to wonder what are the if I could use this podcast as a mirror to myself and say where are the gaps in my own Ooh. theology, where are the gaps in my own orthopraxy. And like, am I being loving? Am I, am I am I actually like doing the call of ministry of being a pastor? And am I am I just like have are there aspects of Driscoll or whatever that happened from that movement that, have, that I have kind of like soaked into who I am that is actually wrong and I'm not even aware of it? Like that's the to me the biggest like the question I have because when I hear Driscoll speak on that podcast and like, like Tim said like I don't like clips either because it can be drawn out of context like I. Cr- 
cringe. Like even that big famous one, the Who Do You Think You Are sermon. Like I remember listening to that when it came out thinking – this is the greatest sermon ever preached, <laughs> and we for all some reason this. we equated like it, zingers with it, faithfulness. It, it, it was the yeah. Judd Nelson fist in the air, walking off at the end, like, "Oh, he got him." That was great. But like it, looking at, but like looking at it with twenty twenty eyes, it's like twenty twenty one eyes. It's like, oh my gosh, this is manipulative. The, I mean, this is this is this is this is weird. Like it's just bad. obviously we don't have that kind of hind- we don't have hindsight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like. I don't know. That's the that's the biggest thing that I've been listening to, and then obviously this mo- the most recent episode, or I don't know when this airs. It's probably gonna be the last episode, uh, uh, episode five, where he talks about the women. That is hard. It's rough. Like, yeah. All that that entire conversation. Like I remember reading Real Marriage, and I remember I actually physically remember thinking this extra stuff that's about like oral sex and things like that. It's like my thought was like, yeah, Driscoll's being extra, and I don't think it's necessarily necessary. Looking back, it's like this is. Too much. Like this is like is how the podcast talk. describes as, as pornographic, right? It's like, coarse talk it's that's weird. coming out of your mouth. I would say my my biggest takeaway from this has been, I am so good being at a little church for forever. Can you imagine mm. if someone didn't like? And we need to realize that Christianity Today, and they're doing a great job. And as a journalistically, this is excellent. It is done so so well. However, I never want someone's research assistant to try to go find a sermon of mine from 10 years ago to find ammunition against me. Boy, is that terrifying. Mm. And again, when you, when, when you put yourself in that situation and, and you try, I, I don't know that they, that any church ever sets out to say, Hey, we want to be a 14,000 person church, but you know, part of that is, is par for the course, but man, the, the level of scrutiny, can you, I just, can you imagine people are pulling up 20, 22, 23 year old sermons and saying at this minute mark in this specific sermon, this person said that, that's terrifying to me. It it also feels I would say it also feels a little bit like, you know, when there's the and this is not fair to Mark, but you know, when when there's that serial killer and then the news reporters outside and the neighbors are like, I had no idea. And you're like, really? You had no idea the guy that, you know, looked like this, hung out with this, listened to this kind of music. You had no idea that that guy you know, for us to be looking back now, 20 years after the the huge rise of Mars Hill, to pretend that we're surprised by this, like, no, this is, hmm. these are all of the, you know, if you have all the ingredients for cherry pie and cherry pie comes out, you shouldn't be surprised. If you have all the ingredients for narcissism and an abuse of power to say, oh my goodness, I can't believe that narcissist abused his power. Well then, shame on us for cheering him on. Good. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll, talk into, we'll get into our uh, final discussion about guest preaching, which Mark Driscoll isn't doing very much of. So <laughs> we'll, we'll do that in a second. Hey, so we got a, a question that was brought up in the Facebook group, which, again, if you're not in the Facebook group, you got to be in the Facebook group. Thank you for the asking because Facebook... we had no idea what we were going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate it. Uh, like, oh, this is a good topic. We'll talk about it. Uh, so, we, guest preaching, and so uh, the gentleman that brought it up. What, I want to see who it was. Gentleman, you raise, who brought who brought it up in the Facebook group? Yeah, it was Todd. I was right. All right, sweet. Hey, Todd, so Todd, asked, Todd asked a question about guest preaching, and you know, he 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 wanted to know kind of maybe like some horror stories, some bad theology, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And, and 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 what I wanted what I wanted to talk about in that is, is kind of just from two different perspectives. When you are asked to guest preach, what is some advice and tips you would give to someone who gets invited, whether they are a student pastor getting asked to speak at a different youth group or a senior pastor doing a pulpit swap or you, whatever that looks like? Um, if you're a guest preacher, what does that look like? And then also on the flip side, when you host a guest preacher, may that be someone in your congregation, like like an associate pastor who doesn't preach very often, or it's like an outside a missionary or someone from another church that's guest preaching at church, what advice would you give to pastors in regards to that? So yeah. we'd love to hear guest preaching. Okay. So one of the number one things I try to do when I first, after I feel like, yeah, this is what I need to do. Exegete your audience. You know, you're going to exegete your scripture. You need to know who you're speaking to. Like um, we had a event here and I had a guest speaker and I called him and he goes, well, tell us, kind of the way you want it to go. And I said, okay, like we really want you to drive this to the gospel. But as far as like 
having like moments where there would be traditionally an altar call, we really want you to throw that to the leaders because we don't really want that traditional emotional altar call here because that we haven't seen much fruit from that in our ministry. I'll tell you what, man, every single sermon, he did an altar call. So the next year I got Frank out here and we got it fixed, you know, <laughs> but like exegeting your audience is really important. Um, and also if, if possible, I especially love doing this when I'm a guest speaker, I try to get with the people a little bit. Like even if you could just go mingle with them at one of their events, if they're hanging out early, like if I'm speaking at a church, do you have a first impressions team? I don't care. I'll stand at the door with them and shake hands because for me, you just that little bit of interaction does a lot in someone when they're listening to you. Um, and then also it's okay. This may, some of y'all may not think this is wrong. It's okay to look back at some of your stuff you've written and saying, listen, I've talked with the pastor. This is how his people are. Um, I've exegeted his community. I've already exegeted this scripture. This may work here. It's okay to translate something, you know, that works over to here. Um, it's kind of like every time you show up, every time, you know, Tim Cook comes out, he doesn't always bring a new iPhone out, right? Like sometimes he's like, listen, this is, this is the one I had. I've improved upon it, you know? So I think it's okay to look at some of your previous material because I know that a lot of pastors, when I grew up, they would love to hit you that, well, I got a fresh word from the Lord today. And I'm like, oh, I kind of wish you'd have brought something that maybe was seasoned a little bit better. So a hundred percent, if you're guest preaching, you should use something you've already preached. I don't hundred percent. I don't know if, I mean, very rarely, like, uh, what I, I try to come up with something a hundred percent new only because it's like, if you're guest preaching, this is probably in addition to what you normally do mm-hmm. and you probably don't have enough time. And if it was good enough for that last time you preached it, it's probably good enough for the next time you preach it too. Um, I, I think, I think the biggest thing when you're guest preaching is to not go outside what they're asking you to do. So if they mm. say, hey, can you continue on our series in the Gospel of John, do these seven verses, don't, like, do the next chapter. Like, don't don't preach. Like, yeah, if if you want to, like, preach what you've already written, but don't become lazy and be like, I'm going to preach something else I have that has nothing to do with the text you've given me. Like, stay within what they want you to do because then that's the best way of showing respect to those people. Um and, and, and yeah, I think what you said is good is exegeting the people. The more, the more you can find out about the community you're going to preach to, the better your sermon's going to be. So in the same way, it's like if, if I'm uh, – if like here's a good example when it comes to student ministry. I love when I preach at these summer camps, and I know that this is going to be a bunch of white suburban kids. If I talk about the fact that I grew up in the hood – it's going to nail every single time. And people are going to be like, this guy's exotic <laughs> where, where if I'm like teaching to a bunch of kids who like grew up in the same circumstances I grew up in, that's not going to be impressive. Right. So I'm just going to be like, I ultimately, here's the thing. Be authentically who you are. Don't just because you're guest preaching. Don't like come up with a new persona and be like, when I'm guest preaching, I'm J- I'm uh, Judah Smith. And I'm going to just have a handheld mic and, throw it around like don't be who you are that's why they brought you into the guest preach preach how you're supposed to preach i think when whenever we have a guest preacher go ahead andy i believe in you thanks buddy I, I appreciate that i think when you're guest preaching try to make whoever the primary communicator at that church is the hero like mm-hmm. you want them to want you back and you also you behind Jesus. Thing, then behind Jesus. Jesus. Yes, yes. But the worst thing you can ever do as a guest preacher is have someone say, I wish you would get to preach more. You know, that is the that's as an associate pastor getting to preach, whenever someone says to you, Oh, I wish that you got to preach more, nope, that is unhealthy for the church. That's not what you want to hear. So you need to do whatever you can do to make the primary preacher the hero. You know, thank you, Pastor So and so for sharing your pulpit. Thank you for this opportunity. And, you know, if, if you can find a way to have a story where that pastor is the hero, awesome. And then if you are having somebody guest preach for you, man, have you ever shown up to a place and you didn't know that you weren't just preaching, but you were also making the announcements and doing the benediction <laughs> yes. and doing doing. So I want if someone else is guest preaching for me, I want it to be the easiest guest preaching gig they have ever had. Hey, what what is your Starbucks order? We're going to have it for you 45 minutes before the sermon. What uh, you know? 
what can we possibly do to make this the easiest guest preaching experience you've ever had and have you want to come back? So if you're guest preaching, your goal is to have that pastor want to have you back. And these are practically not, this is not the spiritual goal. I'm saying just for practical purposes, if you're guest preaching, your goal is to be the kind of guest preacher that they want to have come back. And if you're having a guest preacher, you want them to think of it as almost a respite and a treat to get to preach where you are. So, so what you're saying is don't be like Paul Washer in the most shocking sermon where like you come in and you're like, what's wrong with you people? (laughs) I'm talking about you, but I'm talking about you. I mean, I, I, I know, but I think, I think his point is saying is like, there might be a time and place for you to be the prophet in the wilderness and then to like be a guest preacher where you're hated. But like nine times out of 10, that's not what you're being called to do. Nine times out of 10, if you're being a guest preacher, you're not being invited by someone who like is completely opposite of you either. You know, can I give like a practical, this is a verse I like to put in my mind when I'm doing anything like this, Philippians two, three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but count others more significant than yourself. Like that ties a lot of this up in here. Like I'm not the hero when I come to guest speak. I'm not trying to gain more followers on a social media platform when I guest speak. One time we had someone come to our church and he very much wanted us to know that it was a big deal. He was there. And like he even took him and his whole crew out and spent like $80 or $90 on Starbucks and sent us the bill later, which is like, Okay, I mean, I'll buy some Starbucks, but dude, you know, and and like we paid it, I guess. But I think when I go into a place like this, I want to have this is me personally. And I think this is good stewarding the community that you're trying to serve. Like I want to have as small of a footprint financially as as I can. Um, That doesn't mean I go in there. These are services you're performing. Let's be let's let's just. You are preaching. You're traveling there. These are services you've worked. You probably got paid when you wrote that sermon the first time, but keep your footprint small. Other than that, that would be something I have, especially if you ever want to get called back or get asked to go speak somewhere else. If they're like, well, he's a prima donna. He sits in his back room, doesn't talk to anybody and sends his $80 Starbucks bills. Like, is that how you want to be remembered? I hope that guy's not listening. He's going to know who it is. Well, I mean, he's on this podcast, so oh, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but Frank. seriously, uh, I love Frank. <laughs> I took Frank out to eat somewhere nice. He don't even drink Starbucks. Seventy-five dollars Starbucks. Yeah, now I'm gonna tell you what. 80. If you are hosting, don't slander though, my name. No, if you are hosting, you you treat that person well. If you're hosting someone spoil else, spoil them. Spoil, spoil them. them. Yeah, I took Frank and got him bacon blue cheese fries. Them things mm. were dope. So, anyways. Andrew and I have a very uh, similar thought process when it comes to guest preachers. We, we've talked about this before. We want to help them win. We want to set them up to succeed. So in my context setting, uh, I have a guest preacher fill in for me every six to eight weeks. That's usually an elder or a key leader or my own father. And usually when they're on the calendar, I'll give them the key scripture. If we're in a series or if we're in between series, I'll ask them to get me their key scripture within a week or two. So I have an idea of where they're going. And then uh, three to five days out, I always give them a phone call, not a text or email, but I call them, ask them how they're doing, how the prep's going. And then I give them kind of the final deadline of, hey, you know, here's when I need uh, your slides. Here's when I need your key points so I can put them in the computer for you. And I always make sure they know exactly what they're doing when they get to Lakeview. Here's what time we pray. You're only preaching. Or this past week it was, hey, dad, I need you to do communion as well. And so he preached and administered communion, which was awesome but I always want to set them up to succeed. And then one thing my uncle taught me recently was ask your guest preachers not to cast vision for your church. Mm. He said he has been strategic about asking his guest preachers not to cast vision. And I was like, well, why would you say that? Well, he had an executive pastor uh, fill in a couple times a year who would routinely cast vision. And eventually that executive pastor took about a quarter of his congregation and started a new church out of that. One of those, you should be preaching more, you should be preaching more. He continued to cast vision of what the church should be, could be, and eventually started his own and basically split the church, and it was detrimental. He was a church can planter. You, yep. Can you give an example of casting vision? Because I think you know the application in a lot of sermons is, here's a personal application, here's a corporate application, but what is what would you call a, a vision casting type of thing? Uh, I mean, to me it sounds like, you know— probably refrain from talking about your hopes and dreams for that church. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like 
don't do that. That's not your church. Yeah, I think you could keep it in the vein of this is what it would look like if you guys did this mm-hmm. at your work. This is what it would look like if you guys did this in your community. Um, to me, casting vision is when I say, this is the mission of this church, and this is how we're going to take this mission and go take this land. Um, that's reserved for the leader. I would and the think. thing is, people love when you do that. Like if you're a guest preacher, people love to hear, I've got dreams. For, I could see this congregation is going to reach the whole neighborhood and you're going to blah, 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 whatever. And people are like, yeah, I love it. That's really not your role. Yeah. And I also think like when you're casting that, this is what you need to go do. It's important to like, keep it in the vein of scripture in your application. I know I've been to so many conferences from passion to a lot of them, and they're really good at getting people jazzed up. And when you hear them say, what did you learn? It's stuff like this. Our generation is going to be the one. Our generation is going to make the difference. And I'm like, no, funny. The Bible doesn't just narrow the pivotal point of change to one generation. It is a, a holistic thing. So I think you need to like not hyper narrow it because like what Jeff says, if I hyper narrow that I can get those people jazzed up, right? Like if your generation, our generation failed, you can do it. Like I could get them jazzed up, but like, do we really want them running out at a wall, you know, without thinking about anybody else. So when it comes to your application, narrow it as tight as it needs to, but broaden it as much as it needs to as well. I would also say it's important to have a, have a guest preacher when you're in town. Because if your congregation only yeah. sees a guest preacher when you're yeah. out of town, it kind of gives us this vibe off like, oh, so you can't sit under anybody else's preaching. So that's why the yeah. six to eight week rule exists for, for me. Even if I'm not out of town, uh, we'll still have a guest preacher in that time frame. Yeah, and I would say um, when that's happening and you're there, be engaged in the sermon. Like, let people see yeah. you taking notes and stuff. Um, I would say, you know, a couple things. I My most recent experience guest preaching was uh, at a church that's literally like I could walk to the church from my house, which is a parsonage, so another church in the neighborhood. And a small First Baptist church, they had just lost their pastor. Uh, it was a year ago, so it was the middle of covid and uh, the pastor was suing the church for wrongful termination. So it was a, it was a pretty rough situation. So Sounds healthy. Yeah. They asked me to come guest preach, uh, and I actually ended up preaching there for about, I think, six or eight weeks during the summer, um, where I would do our service outdoors and then literally just like walk 300 yards over to their church and preach. And the what I would say about guest preaching is um, I think, Dell, you kind of touched on it, but just paying attention to the situation you're walking into. Um, that's not a moment like what I went into where I need to be real prophetic or preach my like hardest sermon. Probably that's the moment to preach. You know, I, I chose to preach a series I already had uh, out of the Psalms um, and, and that really was good for them. And so I I think you have to know that you, in most cases, when you're guest preaching, especially if it's the first time you're guest preaching somewhere, you don't have any relational chips. So you can't call people to action in the same way you can if you've been their pastor for four or five years or 10 years. So I think you just have to know that. Um, It's not your job to go in there and smash people. It's your job to go in there and serve that church well. Um, And so that's what I would say about the content in terms of like the practical stuff of it. Um, and, and I guess this is what advice would you give when you're hosting a guest preacher? The things that drive me nuts the most are people have already touched on it, but when a, when a guest preacher goes over time, um, especially if you have like children's workers or youth ministry stuff going on, that's all based on that timing. So if you're a guest preacher, really try to be clear about how long you're supposed to be preaching for, what time do I need to show up? Which door do I need to walk into? And like you guys have already said, when you have a guest preacher, I would be extra detailed in your sermon planning for that day. Uh, Even down to one church I worked at, we did this thing called Q to Q, uh, which meant we would walk through the service. Frank, you probably do something like this in Dell, I would assume too. Most bigger churches do this kind of thing, where you literally walk through the service from one point to the next. And the band, when I was the worship pastor there, the band would practice like, the beginning of every song and then the end of every song and the person who was going to do announcements would come up and they would know, okay, I'm going to walk from here to here and pick up this microphone, microphone number five. Here's the button to push it. Let me test it. Okay. I'm going to test it. If you've got a guest preacher coming in, I would say do something like that. Even if it's not your normal practice, 
in my church, that's not not necessary. It's the same people every week doing the singing and the leading and stuff because we're a smaller church. But when you have someone new, they you know they don't know where do I switch on the mic pack. Don't assume they know that. You know, walk them through all those little things. And then if you are a guest preacher, my other biggest pet peeve is do not show up with some kind of like slide deck on a USB drive or like a laptop with your slides that you didn't communicate to anybody that you were bringing. Um, that is just like a great way to drive the tech booth nuts. Uh, and if you do that at my church, it's a great way to drive me nuts. So I would say when you're hosting somebody, make sure you're communicating very clearly. If you are going to have slides, I mean, what I say is we're going to build them for you. So they look right. And, um, they need, there's a hard deadline of like Thursday before or Wednesday before. And if they don't get to you, then you just don't have slides. Um, and so, yeah, don't show up with like, show up to a small church and like, Oh, can I, can I use my laptop from the stage to control my own slides? You're going to, some volunteer in the tech booth is going to lose their mind and run around like a chicken with their head cut off because they're not ready for that. So I just think it's just about when you're guest preaching, serving that church. And like Dell said, in a, in a different way, but the smallest footprint possible. Be the easiest guest preacher they ever had to deal with. Don't have a face mic? Fine. I can preach with a handheld mic. Don't have a handheld mic? I'll talk real loud. Whatever, I, I'm good. Don't have a bottle of water for me? No problem. I'll. Where's the drinking fountain? You know, just be so easy to deal with and serve them well. And um, like Andrew said, I would say, you know, go over the top if you if you're hosting a guest preacher to make them feel comfortable and confident in what they're about to do. One last thought before we 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 end up closing the show. Uh, if you are guest preaching, there's a high probability that people are going to like you more than their regular preacher. Mm -hmm. And it's not because you're better. It's because you're different. And I think that you have to remember that so you can A, stay humble, and B, not not make a bigger deal than, than it really is. Because I can't tell you how many times, you know, you, you go to a different place to guest preach, and then people come afterwards like, man, I hope they bring you back. You're No offense, you're way better than our senior guy. And you say, you're hey, way no pro I'll be back the moment they tell me you need church discipline for you <laughs> <That'd be awesome. laughs> and, and and the reality is is that people love diversity they love when things are changing and so even if you honestly even if you preach the worst sermon than the senior pastor could preach it's because it's different people are drawn to it and even if it is better it, like i love what, what we what someone said here it's like make much of the of the regular pastor, like make it about like make him like I think Andrew said that make him the hero, make them the hero, because when you do that, then um, it, it's actually going to leverage an opportunity for the senior pastor to care for the people afterwards. So, but anyways, I do, think, I do think that's a big part of it is that when you're guest preaching, you're not the one telling them no or helping them walk through something difficult in their life. So they have only a positive. They only ever have a positive experience with you as a guest preacher. So any sort of like pastoral, any sort of pastoral follow up. I always try to point them to their own church right. leaders. Like, right, hey, right. if you need prayer, you need to talk to someone. This is the person you want to talk to. I point to their leaders, never me. You know, and a lot you of these things preaching. Be... You're not guest pastoring. Yeah, there's right. a difference between preaching and pastoring, and you are the guest preacher, not the guest pastor. And a lot of these points can also be applied if you are a campus guy and you preach for your senior pastor. Yeah. You know, like, are, are, we're different. We're not better. <laughs> you know. That's good. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up the show. Hey, thanks for joining us. We've talked about the Facebook group a bunch of times. Please join our Facebook group, Search Practically Pastoring. We have a page and a group on Facebook. Join the page. That's great. It's just like a, a Facebook version of our Instagram feed. But you want to join the Facebook group because that's where we're having the conversation and it's continuing there. Uh, please uh, continue to, to, to subscribe if you haven't done so to the podcast. Give us a review. It will help us. Help us to, to knock off the Mars Hill podcast so we can be number one overall in the religion and spirituality. Uh, and so that we could be above the Mars Hill podcast and uh, – uh, Joel Osteen and uh, who else is on this? Who's who's usually in the top five? I know Andrew and Tim probably know. You're Sadie muted. Robinson is always up. Sadie there. Robinson. Sadie. Oh, 
We that should for sure fun. be above Sadie. There's, <laughs> there's the there's the uh NEF Downs podcast, the, the, easy. There's the Catholic uh, priest that's doing the year through the Bible that seems to be very popular right now. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. I there's uh, uh Stephen Furtick is always up there as well. So we can oh, yeah. take down elevation. Easy. let's take down elevation with this podcast. All right. Like, so like just sure like just just we don't want to take we don't want to take them down. We want to surpass Actually, I'm coming their... out with a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Elevation Church. <laughs> no, we're not. And Frank, and don't like, do that. That's perfect. not cool. <laughs> Veto. It's all about spontaneous baptisms. Anyways, uh <laughs> with that being <laughs> said, still. It's, it's, I, I just want to talk about preaching and laying down on the couch. That sounds amazing. All right. But with that being son, s- S-O-N, like hey son, <laughs> stand still. Mind your place. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. Guys, we should have all said goodbye instead of hello. Oh. I'm Andrew Larson. How dare you? I'm Timothy Miller. And this is Practically Pastoring. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better. <laughs>